Amen. This morning, the scripture reading comes to us from Jonah chapter 2. We're looking at a series of sermons on the book of Jonah. And here, we're looking at Jonah chapter 2. This is a reading of God's word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas. The flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake the hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Amen. Please join me in a word of prayer. Father, we give you thanks for your word, which is life, which is light. Your word shines a light in a very dark place. It is a way that we can see who you are and your desire for our life. So speak to us. Speak to us. And I pray that your word would be life this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you just joined us, we've been going through a series of sermons on the book of Jonah. And today we're looking at uh, maybe the most memorable scene in the book of Jonah, which is Jonah being swallowed up by a big fish. And uh, this, this scene in Jonah, the fish scene, is actually only three verses in the book of Jonah. But most people think about this uh, scene and remember this scene as the most memorable uh, event, maybe in the whole Bible. Uh, the book of Jonah, Jonah being swallowed up by a big fish, it expands our imagination, it expands what we think of as possible. It captures our heart, our attention. Uh, You know, ancient uh, archaeologists have dug up catacombs in ancient Rome. And early Christians in ancient times, actually, if you look at those walls, they scrawled pictures of Jonah and the whale uh, in these catacombs. And ancient Christians, they thought of Jonah and the whale as a picture of death and life. Jonah went into the whale as a dead man, but he came out of it as a new man. It's a picture for ancient Christians of death and life. It's a picture of Christ, as historically it's been interpreted by the church. And today we want to look at that whole scene of Jonah being swallowed up by a whale. What is that really about? What is that about? Is it just this fantastical, unbelievable tale? Uh, today I want to look at that story in a new light, in a different light, and I want to look at Jonah going into the well and re-emerging as a picture of spiritual renewal. Uh, I want to look at that whole idea of Jonah and the well. Uh, Jonah goes into the well, as we saw last week, very bitter, running from God, very angry, but he comes out of that well a new person, a person filled with joy, thanksgiving, uh, now re-engaging with God. And today I want to look at this chapter as a way for us to understand how do I get spiritually renewed? If I'm feeling very dry, if I'm feeling very distant from God, 
This chapter tells us about spiritual renewal, being made new again. And as we look at this chapter, I just want to talk about three things. Three powers that if we have it and if we experience it, can lead us to life change and transformation. Those three things are we need to hit rock bottom, number one. Uh, Secondly, we're looking at the power of spiritual practices. Finally, we want to look at the power of grace. So three powers, three things that if we have it and experience it, could lead to change. And the first thing is the power of rock bottom. Uh, Last week, we looked at the whole story of Jonah, how it's set up. Jonah is a prophet. He lived in the 8th century. God gave him a word, and he told Jonah to preach to the Ninevites this message of repentance. But Jonah knows the heart of God, and he hates the Ninevites. They are enemies of his nation, his people. Uh, They are brutal. We said last week they would be known as a terrorist state in modern terms. Jonah didn't want any of that, so he rejected that. He rejected his mission. He took the first ship possible away from Nineveh, away from the presence of God. And because of that, uh, in spite of that, God doesn't let Jonah go. Uh, We said that God loves Jonah. He loves Jonah. And while he goes down to the ship in the other direction, God sends a supernatural storm, supernatural storm. And it's it's, uh, all the people on board the ship to Tarshish fear for their lives. Uh, Jonah, when he experiences the storm, realizes, man, this is about me. And he tells the crew, everyone on board, just throw me over because I know this is my fault. They resist at first, but they realize they have no choice. So Jonah goes down into the depths of the sea. In verse 17, Uh, imagine Jonah at that point going down into the water. He must have thought his life was over. This was the end of his story. In verse 17 of the first chapter, uh, to add insult to injury in his mind, a giant fish, it says a giant fish swallows Jonah whole. Uh, For centuries, even though the Hebrew text says that it is a giant fish, that's a literal translation, it's a giant fish. Uh, For centuries... Uh, Christians and people have said, speculated it's actually a whale. A whale, it's specifically a whale, because only a whale would be able to swallow a man whole. It has caused all kinds of uh, debate throughout the centuries, uh, a lot of scientific debate specifically. One point of contention is that currently, today, there are no whales in the Mediterranean Sea. So a lot of people have said, well, they, there's not even whales that exist in the Mediterranean. How was, how was Jonah swallowed by a whale that did not exist? Uh, interestingly enough, a couple years ago, a team of international researchers found bone fragments in the Mediterranean Sea that they speculated were actually whale, were whales. They did DNA analysis. This is some CSI stuff that we're talking about. They did DNA analysis on the whale bones, and they discovered that In fact, a thousand years ago, there were two species of whales that exist in the Mediterranean Sea. That it was certainly possible uh, for Jonah to be swallowed by a whale a thousand years ago. Uh, Having said that, there's still definitely a supernatural element to Jonah not only being swallowed by a whale, but surviving for three days. And that is supernatural. But it's no more supernatural than any of the, the other miracles that happened in the Bible about God's, God's people, uh, the Red Sea being parted by a great wind, a manna coming down from the heavens. 
this tale of Jonah being swallowed by a whale is both natural and supernatural. But what is its meaning? What is God doing with Jonah in the whale? Uh, Jonah recounts his testimony of what happens. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah recounts his own experience, his existential experience of that event. It says that he, he goes into the water and he says he thought his life was over. He cannot breathe. Uh, it says uh, later on in verse 5, Jonah says that seaweed is tangled around his head. That he certainly feels like he is dead, he is gone. He's swallowed up by a whale. And to Jonah's thinking, that's probably even worse. Not only am I drowning, but I'm going out by being swallowed by this large, this large creature. And Jonah recalls his desperation, his downward spiral. He was, uh, but then what happens? In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 2, Jonah says a couple things. Uh, one thing pivotally happened. As he goes down to the depths of the sea, it says he remembers God. Remember this whole time he was trying to forget God? But Jonah says, I remember the Lord. It says he called to God out of his distress. And Jonah, as he's swallowed by this whale, finally starts to wake up. He starts to wake up and he starts to remember who God is. Uh, what does it take for Jonah to come back to God? And the answer is that Jonah has to hit rock bottom. Uh, remember in chapter 1, we've been looking at this whole idea of Jonah going down. It says in the Hebrew text in chapter 1, Jonah goes down to Joppa. It's a port city. He board the ship. He didn't just get on the ship. It says he goes down into the innermost part of that ship. Not only does he go down to the ship, it says he goes down to sleep. He's trying to forget God even as he's running from God. And finally, he, gets, he goes down into the sea. And finally, he goes down into the depths of the sea in the belly of a fish. What has happened to Jonah? He's hit rock bottom. He's hit this desperate place. It's only then when he hits rock bottom that he can experience God. Why is that? One uh, uh, scholar, Peter Craggy, he writes this. Not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency, was deliverance possible. Craigie says that in order for Jonah to experience God, he has to go all the way down. It's only when he hits rock bottom is, does God strip him of his pride, his self-sufficiency. And it's often only when we hit rock bottom in our life that we can re-experience God. At the bottom of the depths of the trials of a life, there are two lies I want to talk about that get exposed. There are two lies that we love, two lies that we love that get exposed in the bottom of the sea in the midst of our despair. And this is the first lie I want to talk about. This is the first lie, the lie that we're in charge. That's the first lie I want to talk about. There's two lies that we like to believe. And the first lie that we love to believe is that we're in charge. You know, Jonah, when he, uh, throughout his life, he was a prophet of God. He spoke for God. We're going to talk about that. He had a plan. Even when he rebelled against God, Jonah also had a plan. He had a brilliant plan in his mind that he's going to run from God. He's going to go in the exact opposite direction. There's no way he's going to be a prophet to these Ninevites. Jonah always had a plan. 
But as he goes down into the depths of the sea, he realized that uh, actually he's not in charge and he has a very broken plan. Sometimes we are under the illusion that we're in charge. Uh, we might have a one, three, five, ten year plan for our life. You know, we might have a vision board, a Pinterest board. We got an Excel spreadsheets. We got it all mapped out how, we, how our life is going to go, who we're going to marry, our family, our career. You might have that all mapped out, especially if you're in your 20s. But your, your 30s happens, and uh, life doesn't actually go that way. We actually experience life, and life has all kinds of detours. Uh, Life often does not go according to our best laid out plans. You might get married to the person of your dreams, but you realize that what we all realize who are married, which is that there's no perfect marriage. And we're married to someone who continually changes just like we're changing. You might have a plan for a family, for kids, and you have it all mapped out. And you realize it's hard to have kids. You might have that experience. But even when you have kids, your kids have all these unanticipated problems that you did not know about, you did not anticipate. Life happens. And nothing can help you understand how little you are in control of your life when you're waiting for test results for your kids or for yourself. It's like a week that passes. And during that week, you realize, man, I have no control of this, of my health, the health of my family. Health of my parents. I have no control over that. You know, if you're watching the news, the entire Florida coast is, being, is bracing for a Category 5 storm. And nothing tells us how helpless we are when we realize there's nothing we can do about that storm. There's nothing we can do to stop it. We can only brace for it or prepare for it, but no force can stop that storm. Nobody knows where it's going exactly. Here in California, our worries are like an earthquake, but nobody can predict one, exactly when it will happen. No one can stop those tremors from occurring. In fact, we are helpless. So much of our life we're not in control of. And it's an illusion to believe that we're in charge, that we're in control. Jonah, when he hits the, 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 uh, the, the bottom of that sea, he realizes, man, he is not in control. His life has spiraled out of his control, that he's desperately dependent upon God, that only God can control the sea. Only he can control the winds and the whale. Only his life was in God's hand. And that's the first lie that gets expelled uh, at the bottom of the sea. The second lie is this. second lie that we learn at the bottom of the sea is this lie, the lie that we're okay. And we all love to believe this lie. I certainly do. Um, Jonah, before this event, was a prophet. Outwardly, he seemed the man of God. You know, he was the prophet who said he was God's spokesman. If anyone wondered, you know, who God was, where he was going, they would look at Jonah. Jonah had it all figured out. He was the prophet. He spoke and people listened. He represented who God was, his will, his desires, Outwardly, Jonah looked like a holy man of God. He seemed like things were going great. But at the bottom of the sea, Jonah's finally exposed for what he is. Uh, he isn't the person he thought he is. When you, thought of, when you think about Jonah in the belly of the fish, it's, it's supposed to be comical if you think about it. Fish is, 
fish is supposed to be in our belly. You know, when I see a good piece of sushi, I'm like, get in my belly. You know, fish is supposed to be in our belly. But think about Jonah. The, this big fish comes up to Jonah and says to Jonah, Jonah, get in my belly. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be this comical, uh, otherworldly thing. Fish is supposed to be in our belly, but Jonah is in the belly of a fish. Can you believe that? And what is that supposed to be about? That's, it's supposed to be about, man, Jonah's life is upside down. You know, he's supposed to be a prophet who runs to God. He's running away from God. He's supposed to be someone who eats fish. He's been eaten by a fish. Jonah's life is all messed up. It's all mixed up. It's backwards. It's not right. And what God is trying to tell Jonah in that belly of the fish is, Jonah, you are not right. You're not okay. Your life is so messed up. You're so desperately in need of help. And when we hit rock bottom, that's God's message to us. We live in a social media age in which we like to project all the best parts of our life, and we like to hide all the bad parts. Uh, We want to capture our best moments and filter it, and we want to project the image that we are beautiful, uh, we are living an adventurous life that's carefree, And we want to hide all the ugly stuff. A lot of us perform. We are one way in front of everyone else. And when the lights go out and the doors are closed, we're struggling, we're addicted, we're anxious. It's easy to perform. That's why when we hit rock bottom, it actually can be a very liberating thing. It can be a liberating thing when you hit rock bottom because when you hit rock bottom, you can't pretend anymore. You can't pretend anymore. When you hit rock bottom, you begin to really realize who you are. Uh, When you hit rock bottom, you can accept the fact that you are actually powerless, that God, you're my king. Uh, When we hit rock bottom, we can stop pretending and we can start realizing that even though we're not okay, God got us. God is a God of grace. Rock bottom is a place that we can actually, God sends us specifically to so that we can experience him for the first time. You know, when you study the life of Jesus, what's remarkable is that the people Jesus changes are always people who are at the end of their rope. Let me repeat that again. When you look at the life of Jesus and study the people he changes, almost always they're at the end of their rope. You know, a father who has a child who's about to die, days away from dying, he's at the end of his rope. An adulterous woman, she's caught in adultery. There are all these men standing around her about to kill her. Well, she's at the end of her rope. A leper who has no hope, who's an outcast, no hope of getting healed, of re-entering society, well, he's at the end of his rope. The people that Jesus changes are almost always at the end of the rope. And what does Jesus, what does Jesus do to all of them? Uh, Jesus says to you this morning, I'll meet you at the bottom when you fall from the top. I'll meet you at the bottom when all your dreams are dashed. I'll meet you in that broken place because it's there, it's there that I'll lead you. It's there that I'll love you into wholeness. And humility. Only when we reach the bottom are we humble enough to be led 
Only when we're right at the bottom place can we realize that, God, you are all I need. You're my hope and my deliverance. The bottom, rock bottom, is the place of renewal. It's the place of renewal. I love this Puritan poem. It's called The Valley of Vision. And this Puritan poem says, the deeper and deeper you get into the pit, the, the, the lighter, the brighter God's stars shine. That the deeper you go into the valley, this dark place of suffering, the brighter the lights of God are. And it's there that we can experience God's presence. Number one is the power of hitting rock bottom. But the second thing is this, that God continues to lead us and renew us through the power of spiritual practices. The first chapter of Jonah, things are really chaotic. There's, all, there's a storm that's supernatural. There's all kinds of yelling and screaming, consternation. But the second chapter of Jonah is very quiet and contemplative. It's very quiet and contemplative. The whole tone of the story changes. Uh, in Jonah 1, verse 17, which sets up Jonah 2, it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. In verse 17, this is the first time we see a time marker in the book of Jonah. We, uh, it's specifically three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. And when you think about it, that's a long time to be in the belly of a fish, three days and three nights. It's a specific time frame. It's a long time frame. What is Jonah doing, doing that whole time? Uh, well, specifically, uh, we see in jo- Jonah chapter 2 that it's a psalm or a poem that Jonah crafts. It's carefully crafted. Every word has meaning, has a weight. Uh, Jonah chapter 2 is Jonah reflecting on his whole life, who he is, who God is, what God is doing. It's a reflection on his life, his destiny, who God is, what he's doing, his attributes, his plan. Uh, Jonah is spending time in that belly of the fish uh, using time and reflection. Time and reflection. And it's those things that change Jonah's life. In our lives today, people are, uh, we're so busy. We're caught up in so many different things. We're caught up in our job. We're caught up looking at our smartphones. We fill every crevice of our life with something. And that's why it's so important for modern people like us to have time of reflection, to have time to get away. Jonah spent three days asking himself, thinking about who God was, what God's plan for his life was. Let me ask you a question. Do you have time in your life every day throughout the week for reflection, asking questions like, God, what, is, what are you doing in my life? Asking questions like, God, where are, you lead- where are you calling me? You know, Jonah was, had a call that he was not listening to. Do you have a call in your life that you are not listening to? God, what's your call in my life? What are things in my life that are keeping me from your love? One of the elders at our church uh, has a, uh, he's an artist, and he has a sketchbook that he carries around with him, and he just sketches things, and he says it helps him process I'm not an artist, and I can never do something like that, but I journal. And I have instruments. I have instruments. He has instruments to pause, to reflect, to meditate, to think, 
to process? Are you letting the scriptures regularly speak to you? The second practice that Jonah uh, undergoes in the belly of the fish is prayer. It says this in verse 1. Jonah called out to the Lord. He called out, out of my distress. In verse 7, when my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. It says that Jonah called out to God, that he remembered out of his distress. Jonah's prayers are earnest. It comes from a deep and real place. That's why in verse 1, Jonah says, out of my distress I prayed. There's some prayers you pray with your lips and some prayers you pray from your heart. Do you know the difference between those two things? Sometimes we pray prayers with our mouth. Sometimes prayers come from the depths, the deep places. And that's what Jonah's prayers were. Jonah was praying from the depths, literally from the depths of the sea, but also from, metaphorically, the depths of his spirit. He was offering up his prayers to God. In prayer, we acknowledge everything comes from God. Here's one principle I want you to think about. Uh, Everything you pray about, in one sense, you're depending on God for. Everything you are not praying about, you're saying to God, God, I got this. You know, when you're not praying about something in your life, you're praying, you're basically saying, I got this, I control this, I'm, I'm good with it. I can work on it, I can manage it, I can perfect it. And we learn at the bottom of the sea that, man, we're not actually in control, that we need God in every area of our life. And real prayer is when we give God everything in our life, every aspect of our life. And from the depths, we're offering that up to God. Prayer is a place to experience God's, get awe and intimacy. We experience his awe, his intimacy, and his love. Prayer is that vital discipline to receive that. The final thing about Uh, The final principle in the belly of the fish is gratitude. Ultimately, Jonah's prayer, if you categorize what kind of psalm this is, is essentially a prayer of gratitude. Let's look at verse 9. It says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Uh, Spiritually depressed people are always thinking about things that they don't have. You know, spiritually depressed people are saying, God, why did you not give me this? Why are these things not working out in my life? It's resentful. It's bitter. But spiritually renewed people are thinking about what God has already done for us. Jonah is renewed because he realized, God, you have already delivered me. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're a believer, your story is Jonah's story, that we are once in the depths of the sea. Good is dead, but God plucked us from the grave. He forgave us the depths of our sin. He's made us his child, his heir. Heaven is our home. We will, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Uh, A spiritually renewed person is always thinking about that. That God, you've already given me the greatest gift. You've already delivered me from the depths of the sea, from all of my sin. A spiritually renewed person is always practicing gratitude as a thankful spirit. And these are the disciplines that Jonah learns in the depth of the sea. God brings him to that rock bottom place. It's a gift. It's a gift. Uh, in that place, God is transforming 
Jonah's heart through those disciplines of engaging with God, reflecting, of prayer, of gratitude. But this is the final thing that changes Jonah. And this is the final thing that will change us is, is this last point, the power of God's grace. Jonah in the belly of the fish experiences God, but not just anything about God, but more specifically, he experiences the grace of God. Remember that Jonah was on the run from God. He not only gave up on being a prophet, but even uh, being a believer in one sense. It says he was running not just from being a prophet, but he was running from the presence of God. He had given up all of that. And as Jonah gets to the bottom of the sea, he's experiencing in one sense his own sin. But it's at that very moment of rebellion that God rescues him. What does that tell us? It tells us it's all about God's grace. God doesn't rescue us when we're very good, but he rescues us when we're very bad. That's why his prayer, in Jonah's prayer, this is how he summarizes it. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I I have out I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Many scholars believe that last part of verse 9 is the thesis of the entire Bible. I know that's quite a claim. That verse 9 is a thesis, the central point of the whole Bible. Why is that? It says salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is all about what God has done, not about what we have done. Salvation is about God's greatness and his grace, not about our goodness or our works. Uh, If salvation is not earned, we can't unearn it. If salvation is all what God does, there's nothing that we could do to undo that work of God. Uh, If salvation is all by God's grace, no matter what we do, we can't unearn that work of God. And that powerful otherworldly principle is called grace. And we so desperately need it today. You know, we live in an age where it's all about doing more, doing better, being more productive. And I realize in my own life, in my own experience, I'm a victim of that mentality. I'm always trying to do more, be more productive. You know, in the, in the last couple of years, I've tried all kinds of productivity things and health things. I've joined CrossFit. I've had like a sleep tracker. I've counted my steps with a Fitbit tracker. I've gone on diets I've gone on low-carb diets. I've had plans. I have apps. I have all these different things in my life. And at the end of all of that, I realize I'm just tired. <laughs> you know, I'm not really that changed, but I'm pretty tired of having all these productivity tools, life hacks that I've tried. And after all of that, I'm just pretty stressed. <laughs> I'm pretty tired. And I realize I do that with my kids. My kids... Uh, who are getting older, I feel like I put pressure on them even though I don't specifically say it to them. I want them to be labeled gifted. I want them to excel in their academics. I want them to flourish in sports. I want them to play instruments. I want them to be at the top of their class. All this pressure to do more, to be better. You know, I was reading a recent study that said that uh, 40% of college-age kids experience some sort of mental health issue. Anxiety, stress, depression. That number 40% is double, has doubled in the last 20 years. And we're putting our kids through all of this anxiety because we are telling them to perform, to do better, to be more productive. 
And that's created a culture in which we're all super burnt out. What is the antidote to that? And what are we desperately in need of is this word of grace. That God in Christ has done all the work for you. And in fact, all we really need to do is rest in him. That in Christ we are perfectly righteous. That we do not have to work to earn God's favor. We can rest in his finished work. Jesus says, it is finished. I talk about those spiritual disciplines, and I want you to think about spiritual disciplines like prayer and Bible reading this way, that they are actually instruments of grace. That's what they are. Reflection and prayer. They're not ways of doing work, but they're simply ways to relax, ways, channels to receive God's grace, ways for God to tell you he got it. He loves you. That's why we desperately need those channels, because we need to be reassured of all that God is for us. Last week, we looked at this astonishing statement in Matthew, Matthew 12, verse 40. This is what Jesus says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And Jesus says, I'm the greater Jonah. I've been swallowed up by death for you. I've experienced the, the curse. I've experienced the depths of the sea. And I went down into the depths of hell. I did that for you. And I conquered all of that for you. And Jesus says, rest in me. I've done it all. In Mark chapter 4, there's this tremendous scene. Uh, Jesus is in a ship. There's a storm. It's supposed to remind you of a story. There's a storm that's supernatural. All the disciples are in the ship panicking because they fear for their lives. But Jesus is in that storm, in that ship, and what is he doing? He's asleep, just like, guess who? Jonah. And they wake Jesus up, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, we're about to die. Do something about that. And what does Jesus say in Mark 4, verse 39? It says, he rebuked the wind and the sea and said to them, peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. Jesus is the greater than Jonah. Uh, we said who, we, we talk about being not in control of, the, of a hurricane, of the wind and the waves. That the, those things are all out of control. But Jesus says, no, I control that. He says, but one word and like a light switch. The wind and the waves cease. And all the disciples, they're alarmed. And they say, who is this person that can do that? Who but God? Jesus can calm the storm in your life, but with one word. He's in control. He's the king. Sometimes Jesus chooses not to calm the sea and the storm, but chooses simply to be present with you in the midst of it. And he says to you, in the midst of your storm, I'm with you. I'm the king. Depend on me. Lean on me. So in your storm, rest in him. Maybe God is bringing you through a storm in your own life, a rock-bottom place. Would you use that time to re-experience God, to lean on him, to to trust him, to re-engage him? And your life, like Jonah, will be verse 9, salvation belongs to the Lord. God, you're the king. 
You're my savior, my redeemer. In you, I'm safe. In you, we can rest. Please join me in prayer. Father, we give you thanks for this time that we can rest. Uh, We know that in our world, all around us is a storm. So many chaotic things out there. And we know that in our personal life, there's so much trauma and uncertainty. And I pray that through all of those things, God, you would lead us to the great I am. That we would see that, God, you are our king. I pray for our spiritually dry people, God, that they would find renewal as they come to you. I pray, God, that we would use all these channels of grace to be reminded that you are our king, you are our savior, you're our shepherd, that you're with us right in the midst of the ship, in the midst of the storm. Pray that we will lean on you. Thank you that you've given us life in Christ. Thank you that Jesus took death in the depths of the sea for us so that we would go to the heights of heaven. Thank you for that hope. Pray that we would be people with a renewed spirit as we continue to follow you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.